0: Welcome to What CEOs Want to Know, short conversations that can make a lasting difference for you and your business. My name is Linda Ruland, founder of SuccessAuthorities.com and the producer of this podcast series. This episode takes a closer look at culture. You may be familiar with Peter Drucker's quote, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. After listening to Success Authority Ron Lehman explain how a company's culture can differentiate, strengthen, and keep it thriving even in a rapidly changing environment, you may conclude that culture also will eat the competition before lunch. Ron, talk to me about the impact that culture has on keeping our businesses viable and competitive. Culture
1: is really the bedrock of competitive immunity. Uh, Any effort to achieve that really depends so much on the people and the people operate within the culture. So as a result, if the culture is such that it really supports the things necessary for true competitive immunity, then you've got a great chance at it. If it doesn't, all your efforts are really going to be challenged.
0: In other words, it's wonderful to have a great idea and a great vision. But if people don't come together around that vision and know how to behave with one another to make it happen, then it goes nowhere.
1: Yes. And I think that is one of the challenges that any change effort takes, not just deciding to go after competitive immunity, but anytime you're trying to change things, the culture is one of the main impediments that very often doesn't get addressed. A high percentage of change efforts, the really high percentage, fail simply because that the culture wasn't addressed. People aren't prepared and helped through the change process. The culture doesn't support it. And as a result, you get a lot of people who have learned to wait and see. And they can wait out a change where um, they can perhaps give it tacit approval and some bobbleheads that agree with everything, but they don't change how they do it because they know, first of all, there aren't any real repercussions for that. And so often change efforts are abandoned. The next thing will come along and the flavor of the month. People get trained by the culture to just wait it out. That gets in the way of velocity and gets in the way of creativity and innovation and risk taking and that all spells doom for competitive immunity
0: can you provide me with a brief synopsis of what competitive immunity is
1: a simple way to think about competitive immunity is that it's an organization that has significant differentiation from the competition and i'd stress the word significant because incremental differentiation or small levels of differentiation are not going to do it, especially when it comes to products and services. Everything can be replicated in these days with astonishing speed. If you want to have something that lasts in terms of being differentiated, it really comes down to the people. And people uh, make the difference. And to that extent, culture makes the difference. Those are things that are really difficult to replicate. So they can copy your product, perhaps, and mimic your service, perhaps, but what they can't do is replicate and mimic the people and the culture. That's why I say it's the bedrock of competitive immunity. Again, you're you're going for significant differentiation that lasts beyond the next quarter, or the next year. That requires the efforts of the people to Create that differentiation, certainly in terms of products and services, but also in terms of how they do things, how they show up, how the customer experiences the organization and its products and services and the people. And that's everybody. If you watch a company's ads, you think, boy, this is great. It's easy to use and they're fabulous and they care about the customer. And then your first interaction with an actual human does not live up to that. Most of us don't go, well, maybe that's just an aberration. I'll bet their ads are right. We tend to believe our experiences over the ads. And frankly, every time I look at an ad after that, I kind of look at it with a, a bit of a jaundiced eye because I say, that doesn't really match up with my experience. If you see customer satisfaction surveys that are put out by companies, one of the questions they have is always, does this organization care about its customers? If your experience is, I didn't really have a great experience when I interacted with a human, or worse, I could never find a human, it's pretty difficult, at least for me, to say, yeah, they really care about their customers, because I'm a customer, this is what I wanted. They don't seem to care about that. They seem to be care about making it easy for them. So that's an extreme example, but I think everyone has those.
0: It seems to me that you read about culture in connection mostly with large corporations. Is culture a differentiator only when it comes to large corporations? How important is it to small and medium-sized organizations?
1: I think it's almost more important. And, good news, it's a lot easier to change. If you, unfortunately, have a, a culture that isn't working or that has created barriers to any change effort, but especially competitive immunity. The smaller the organization, the easier it is to affect a significant change. You get a a large organization, that is a huge ship to try and turn around. And it takes a long time and a lot of effort. A lot of people just run out of gas. Leadership changes, people change. It just doesn't ever get there. Whenever people discuss having a large scale change effort with a large company, I just try and always warn them, this is gonna be a, this is a significant operation and will be very difficult to do. It's not impossible, but it, it takes a lot of time, especially if you're making subtle adjustments or stressing different things or building on strengths of a culture that's different. That can actually go pretty quickly because people are sort of on the way there. But a smaller company, typically more nimble. Now, an extreme example, though, of the downsize for a small organization is a lot of times a company, a smaller company, was started by an individual or a small group of individuals that had a very clear idea of what they wanted to do. They get used to the being the person or persons that have the ideas. As the company grows, people are inculcated by the culture to wait for the leader or leaders to tell them what to do. So they wait and the organization starts to slow down, you get to a certain point where it's difficult and it, it does, you cannot sustain the velocity with an organization because everyone's waiting for one person to make all the decisions. Plus you're relying on one person to have all the great ideas. Where the sooner you can kind of spread that out, get away from perhaps command and control, the better your chances are for creativity, innovation, risk-taking, all those things that can lead to competitive immunity.
0: How do you do anything with that? How do you move into a more desirable direction?
1: People have to make it important to sustain and nurture the culture that they really want, not just from a standpoint of mom and apple pie, but really what are the values that A, we stand for, and B, will lead to the behaviors and decisions and opportunities that we really want. Because these days, it's hard to find someone who says, I don't think culture is important at all. Everybody sort of nods and says, yeah, I mean, yeah, culture is important. And so is fire prevention. But we don't spend perhaps as much time and energy unless we've had a cultural problem or there's been a fire. Then, Then suddenly we get more interested. I find, ironically, the companies that are most interested and pay the most attention to culture are ones that already have a pretty good culture. When I talk to organizations about doing a cultural audit, the ones that are interested in finding out, let's see if the culture we think we have is actually the one that we have. Are these the operational values that are at every layer of the organization? The companies that are going to get a pretty good answer are the ones who lean into that. I have had very little success getting people to pay me money to tell them they have a rotten culture. At some level, they already know or they don't care. And they're not going to throw money at finding out The truth. The good news is, I get to work with a lot of really good companies that are more interested in making sure that they have the culture they want and it's operating at all levels and everyone's clear on it than they are of saying, We know we have a rotten culture. Find that out for us. They treat it as a priority. They understand, especially the leaders, that their job is the development of people in the culture. There are significant other things that they have to do, but really they have to set the tone that says, We're going to make values just as important as outcomes. If you do something really, really well, but you don't do it in line with our values, that's going to have to get adjusted. I know in my career, I've always known people who they'll tell you all the things that they do wrong and how they're inappropriate. and There's this and there's that. But, you know, they get the sales. So I guess we're going to let that slide. Or for whatever reason, as long as you understand the costs of that, because the message it sends to everybody else is, this culture is just kind of talk. The real operational culture is, as long as you deliver, you can get away with just about anything. You don't have to worry too much about the values. The headlines are full of examples of people who just sort of did whatever they wanted, and now companies are more and more saying... We have to deal with that, we have to be better than that. When I go in and look at a company's values, I rarely go in with a list of values that they should have. When I do a cultural audit, I'm looking for what's really going on there and whether it works or not based on their strategy or what they're trying to accomplish. You can have any kind of values you want, it's okay with me. What I try and point out is this value that operates is either helping or hindering your efforts. You want to look at that, and you want to take steps to adjust that.
0: You said values that operate. How do operational values differ from cultural values?
1: Almost every company, if you go to their website or you talk to the leader, they have a list of values. Those are the, what I would call, espoused values or desired values. Operational values are the ones that actually are exemplified by how people show up what they do, what they don't do, how they make decisions, what's okay and not okay. It's the unwritten rules in the environment that say, we can do this and we can't do that. And people learn that. The culture does the training these days, much more so than a lot of other things, is that I learn on my first day what not to do and what to do, what's okay and what's not okay. And whatever the values that are listed on the website say, those may be in alignment. I may see lots of examples of those, or I may find those don't really show up. An example would be if the value is care for the customer, customer comes first, things like that, but a service person is rewarded or punished for how long they spend on each call. That is a value that gets in the way of the other value. And more often than not, it's not a question of having good values or bad values. It's having really good values that collide. Customer focus, but efficiency. So those are two values, both are good, but how do I make the decision which one to do? Because there's times when I have to call, make a call. And for an organization, every single interaction with the customer, that's a decision point for that person. So you have to help them make that decision. For instance, in the construction industry, rarely do you find a company that doesn't say safety's first. But also, productivity is really important and efficiency is really important. And those two things, I have lots of examples of where an individual had to make a decision. Should I do this in a very, very safe manner, but it'll take a little longer? Or can I be super productive and just get all this done? The old belief was safety always takes longer. That's not true most of the time, but that's an example of decisions. Or the phone person who has to decide, do I really take care of this customer or do I get off the phone as fast as I possibly can? Because that's how I'm going to be rewarded. Most humans are going to go with, where do I get rewarded? That's kind of human nature. Or more importantly, where am I going to go that I don't get punished?
0: Unfortunately, that's how we usually communicate in a very busy environment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're always pushing efficiency and moving quickly, getting as much done as you possibly can. That's an example where that's a great value, but it gets in the way of perhaps other values. As much as we don't want to prioritize values, we have to make people know, here's how you make that decision. For example, in that scenario, if I have been appropriately prepared for that call, I have an information to say, you know what, if I spend a little extra time with this person, I will give them better care. If they make that decision and then get positive reinforcement for that, say, you know, you spent more time on that call, but that customer was really taken care of and they didn't have to call back or they didn't have a bad experience. You can make the case for, I went with customer care in that place. Now, in other places, you might say, you know what, I can give a good level of care, and be efficient at the same time. And most of the time, you can probably figure that out. But I think sometimes, if you're given really unrealistic expectations that are purely about efficiency, then people start to question well, what's this customer service value? I mean, you say that, but the efficiency one seems more important. And they may or may not air that view, but that's what's going on in their heads. I always counsel people, you know, really be clear and help people make good decisions because otherwise if we're left to our own devices we're going to make stuff up and we're basically humans we're going to go on the air of how can i not get in trouble or how can i get rewarded
0: how do you reconcile or do you reconcile people's personal values with the company's values
1: that's always a challenge because if people come in with different values or have been working there a long time and their values change, that's going to show up as a problem. I think it's difficult to, for instance, recruit or hire for values or promote for values. But it's certainly worth looking at for organizations. But I think a lot of times it's forming really thoughtful questions that get people to talk about their experiences. And you can learn a lot by letting people talk about things and what they say to find out what's important to them. I think especially as you get to a certain place in the recruitment process where you're really considering someone, that's important to look at because if you don't pay attention to that, cultures never, on their own, cultures don't get better. They get worse. And every new person, every new customer, every new change has a chance to erode the culture or strengthen it and if you don't pay attention to that if you just especially now with it so difficult to find people i think there may be a tendency to kind of hope for the best and maybe they will but when i talk to people who you know do a lot of hiring they have developed a way to really say is this person going to be a fit are they going to have a hard time fitting into our culture and they might eventually fit in great It's just how much time and effort are we going to have to spend on letting them know, here's the way we do things around here. And by the way, if you don't do that early on in the process, and again, not talking about those espoused values, but if you don't talk about, here's how we really do things, you're just asking for trouble because when they get into the workplace, you know, think about any job you've ever had. You may have gone through an orientation and then on your first day, you find out, What's really going on? And when those two things match up, because I've been in organizations where their orientation talks a lot about culture and really gives some very specific examples. And here's how we make decisions. And here's the right thing to do. Then when they get out there, that's reinforced by the supervisors or the, the managers or the foreman. Everybody reinforces that. Then it's a smooth transition. If their personal values don't match up, they'll make that decision or the organization will make it for them, but it'll become evident very quickly. It behooves organizations to give people a chance to really experience the culture and stay with it. And I think there's a lot of people who would be very interested in being part of something that's exciting.
0: One of the nice things about culture is that you don't have to make a capital investment in it. It isn't something that's going to erode over time if it's properly attended to. It's something that's renewable and sustainable. There's a lot of good things you can say about culture that can keep a company alive and vibrant and, like you mentioned, nimble.
1: Yeah, and it's going to be there whether you do anything or not. It's the environment that you're working in. You know, I think of it like in a, when when your culture's operating pretty well, it's weeding the garden. I mean, you got to go in and clear out weeds once in a while and maybe plant some new things. But the soil is strong you're watering it, you're taking care of it. You know, there may be some work to do up front to make some changes, but typically the gardens in pretty good shape and it's a matter of keeping it that way under all the time and people pressures that that exist today. Your culture is the thing that as I said earlier is a significant differentiator. It pays to take care of it. It involves time and some resources and effort and focus and leadership. But you're right, it doesn't involve going out and buying a gigantic piece of capital equipment. Unless you're thinking of going with all robots, in which case culture is not an issue.
0: Look forward to future podcasts featuring authorities on topics vital to the success of your business during these changing times. For more information and to contact us directly, visit successauthorities.com.